Well, good morning, everybody. Okay, I didn't hear anybody say it back. Good morning, everybody. Are you awake? There we go. Let's stand up. Let's worship the Lord together this morning.
Y'all go ahead and be seated for just a moment. We just want to take this opportunity to welcome you to worship this morning here at Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. And so glad that you're here with us today. Again, if you're a guest with us today, we're especially glad that you're here. As always, uh, if we have a prayer request or any information that you'd like to share with us, there's a tab on your bulletin uh, that you can uh, that you can tear off and, and put that in the offering plate uh, later on in the service. And again, I just uh, as I was thinking about today, and of course this week being Thanksgiving and uh, for us, uh, 
hopefully to be thankful. You know, the scripture tells us so very often that we're to have gratitude or to be thankful. And, and I thought of the, uh, the chorus that was written several years ago uh, about give thanks with a thankful heart. And, and in that chorus, you know, it, those words tell us, it says, give thanks with a thankful heart to the Holy One because he's given us his son, Jesus Christ. It says, let the weak say, I am strong. And let the poor say, I am rich. And that, that was written, that young man wrote that uh, in his mid-20s. And he was facing a time in his life, uh, Henry Smith, where he had just graduated from uh, seminary. And he uh, was having difficulty finding work and, and a place to serve. And actually, he had also had been diagnosed with, uh, with eye disease that would uh, eventually take his eyesight. And so, you know, he was singing, wrote this song about thankfulness in a, in a time of stress and a time of... Uh, a time of worry and a time of uh, uh, uncertainty in his life. And again, we just uh, pray, Lord, today that we're always thankful because we know that uh, in those days of uncertainty, in those days of stress, that, that Christ is the constant. God is the constant, and we serve him, and we can be thankful for him. In, in the, the verse that he based that scripture on or that song on was uh, from a sermon he heard in 2 Corinthians 8 9. And it says uh, this, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And again, I'm grateful for those words today, that we have the richness of God's grace and God's faithfulness in our lives today. So just encourage you to, to stand as you're able and go ahead and continue singing with us this morning. Also, just want to remind you after the service today, we uh, share a fellowship meal for Thanksgiving uh, after the service uh, in Family Life Center. And also, of course, no, no activities on Wednesday night this week. Encourage you to spend that time with your loved ones. So again, now let's continue to worship. as we continue to worship this morning. So throughout my history Faithfulness has walked beside me When the storms bring with the spring
seated on his throne, come let us adore him, behold our King, nothing can compare, come let us adore him. Good morning. Would y'all pray with me? Lord, we lift up this day to you and give you all the glory and honor, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to be with every veteran in this room today that protected this day, that we may come and worship you in freedom, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this holiday that's coming, Thanksgiving, for family and those that don't have family, that we may reach out and show our family love toward them, Lord. I lift up the pastor as he comes to preach this morning, Lord, that you'll bless him from the soles of his shoes to the tip of his head and may speak through him, Lord there be one lost soul in this building they might hear your word lord i lift the offering up to you lord and the gifts that are coming your way lord that you use it to further your kingdom i ask all these things in jesus Christ's name my lord and savior amen
testify of the words of that song and just say, God, I know that you're such a good heavenly father to me, and I know that I am your child. Hey, that's what John wants us to know today as we continue in our series in 1 John, that you may know. And the knowing, the knowledge of him, the belief about him is going to influence the doing for him. So the more that we know about him and what he's done for us, the more that affects what we believe about him, our behavior is going to reflect the truth of who he is. And so I, I, want, I want you to look at this uh, slide before we go very much further. I got a side-by-side -side comparison of my brother and his son, Will. This is Jesse on the left. Whenever he was Will's age on the right. Look at how, how much they resemble one another. <laughs> you say, man, he marked that kid, right? <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> he looks so much like him. And, and the older Will gets, the more he looks like Jesse to me. They just resemble one another. They look a lot alike. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting. Now, Paul talks about this a little bit in a couple of passages and how the closer he gets to the Lord, the more he begins to look like him. And he says in Galatians 6, 17, he says, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And then he tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, that, that's some mature Christianity right there. If you can tell someone to follow you, and if you follow me, you'll be following Jesus. Amen. Could you say that? You're living like him. Well, here's the biblical truth this morning. The true children of God resemble their heavenly father. Amen. The true children of God resemble their heavenly father. Now, we're going to look at the very end of 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And we'll read on down into the first verse of chapter 3. So would you stand with me? 1 John chapter 2. And then we'll, we'll end up in chapter 3 there. Okay? You got God's word in front of you? On your smartphone, tablet, or your hard copy? In verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, 
You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word today. And we pray, Lord, that you would illumine our hearts now to have wisdom and, and understanding and insight from your word. And Lord, to that which we understand, that you would add obedience, that we would be obedient children. That we wouldn't shrink back from your hand, Lord, but we would embrace you in all things. And Lord, that you would guide us and that we would live under the shelter of your love as obedient children. Lord, that the world would see our relationship with you and long for that relationship. Lord, that our light would shine before them and the glory of God would radiate through us. And Lord, that you would use us for your glory until you return. And in that moment, Lord, the culmination of our lives of obedience, Lord, result in the glorification of our bodies. And we will dwell with you forever. Lord, I pray if there's one here that is not in a right relationship with you, whether they've strayed away or, Lord, they've never known you as their personal Heavenly Father, I pray that today, Lord, that you'd bring them into a right relationship. Save the one who is lost. Renew the one who is strayed. And we pray that you would accomplish this through the power of your word and the ministry of your Holy Spirit in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder, do you represent and resemble your heavenly Father? And it all begins with the right relationship. If you look at what it says there again in verses 28 and 29, and John is transitioning in that paragraph, and he is saying that we as little children should abide in him. Now, Jesus has said this before. John's not coming up with anything new because John in the gospel records Jesus's words when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, the word is meno, it means to remain or stay, stay put in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? A little bit? No, nothing, nothing. And so just quickly, three ways that you can stay connected to Jesus. You stay connected to, through Jesus, to Jesus through prayer, and then through the promises of his word, through scripture, and then through the people of God. And that's what you're doing right now. You're staying connected to Christ right now. You're abiding in him if you've come here today to seek his face. And so it's all about that relationship. And what we understand is that God is actively seeking a relationship with his creation. With you and me, he created us. And some people say, well, well, everyone is a child of God. Is that true? Well, in one sense, yes, we've all been created by God. And God is the father of all things. But in another sense, the scripture teaches us that there is a difference between the children of God and the children of Satan. Paul says there's a spirit that's at work in the world. Alive in the sons and daughters of disobedience. People who have turned their back on God. They don't belong to him. 
And so John says in John chapter 1 that to as many who believed in him and received him, he gave the right to become the sons and daughters of God. Now you, you think about that with me for just a minute. The Bible says that God is a great king. We just sang about that, right? He's on the throne. Amen. What does that make us? Well, that makes us, if we belong to him, we make, that makes us his servants, right? He's the king and we're the servants. The scripture calls us servants probably more than any other designation of Christians. Calls us servants. But he also calls us, he's also a savior and he calls us friends. And Jesus said, no longer do I, do I call you servants because you've seen what I'm doing. You understand what I'm doing. And I've revealed to you the Father's plan in salvation. And so now you're friends. Now you think about that. I'm a friend of God. We sing a song about that, right? I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend. And then, but, but let's go a step further. Because Jesus taught us in the disciples' prayer to say, Our Father who is in heaven. Now this is something that, that the Jews were somewhat aware of, but... They weren't used to praying that way. Jesus revolutionized the way that we pray whenever he said, our father. In fact, they even looked at Jesus and they, they said he's blaspheming because he's calling God his father and saying he's a son and he's making himself equal with God. And certainly he is and he, he was doing that. But he teaches us as well to pray that way, to say our father who is in heaven. And so what does that make us? Children. That makes us his children. Now, how amazing is that? How humbling is that? To think that the almighty creator of the universe says that you belong to him as his child. Wonderful thought. Well, the, the deist will see God as distant and trans, uh, transcendent like a clockmaker who would wind up the earth, get it to spinning, and send it off waiting for it to stop. God is, on the other hand, according to Scripture, actively involved in your life. Just like a good father should be, right? A good father is there. Amen? Hey, some of, some of the dads in the room, you need to hear that admonition. Children spell love T-I-M-E. Amen. And so as he says to abide in Christ and remain or to stay, what he's telling us is that he's always there. He's always available. And all we have to do is go to our heavenly father. Right. And we'll find everything that we need in him. And then he goes on to, to talk about how we resemble him. If, if we are his true children, and we are abiding in Him, we will begin to resemble our Heavenly Father. And so here's three ways from John's uh, epistle that we can resemble our Heavenly Father, that we will resemble our Heavenly Father if we are abiding in Christ. Number one, we will know the love of our Heavenly Father. Know the love of your Heavenly Father. Look at what it says in verse three, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 again. See what kind of love the Father has given us. John is inviting us to look into the display of love that our Heavenly Father has presented. Well, what is that? Well, God created us. 
And then we rebel. Right? We turn our backs on the God who loves us. But the Bible says that God demonstrated his love through Christ. You know the, the passage, John 3, 16. You probably know it better than any other verse of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Let's back up. Let's do that together. Read it with me, okay? It's on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen. He demonstrated his love by giving us his one and only son. And that's how he shows his love as a, as a good heavenly father. He gave his most precious thing he could give for you and me. Isn't that what a good father does? He gives. He sacrifices. He sacrifices of himself for his children. But not only does he do that, God continues to give you more than you ever deserve every single day of your life. That's why Thanksgiving is so important. It's because that's the opportunity that we have to just remember every, every year that we've got more than we deserve and we need to acknowledge that before God and it's just a reminder on that calendar year for you to do that. Matthew 7 verse 11, if you then who are evil... Talking to the dads. <laughs> we're evil dads. Is what scripture says. We're not, we're not nearly as good a dad as our heavenly father. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. And some of you are you're already beginning to plan. My, my wife's a planner. And so we're already planning the gifts that we're going to give our children for Christmas. Anybody already in that? Christmas starts earlier and earlier every year, doesn't it? So we're planning. But, but, but Jesus says, even though I'm an evil dad, I know how to give a good gift. He says, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So not only did Jesus die on the cross for your sins, but God has been giving you good gifts every single day of your life and many of the things that we don't even recognize. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. You're living on His green earth. You're drinking His water. You're breathing His air. And every single day, God is better to you than you deserve. But not only that, He's going to continue to give us even better things. He's, Paul says in Romans 8, Verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, our inheritance as a child is heaven. Amen. Look at what uh, John continues to say. He says, The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And you know what he's saying is one day, Jesus is going to come back. And all the blessings of heaven that belong to Jesus are going to be ours. I think about that. A safe home. 
a warm bed, a seat at the table, a family who cares, and a father who loves us. That's what heaven's going to be like. And that's what we're, that's the, the reality that we're walking in right now on this earth. That reality belongs to the children of God. Right here and right now. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. You don't deserve it and I don't deserve it. My father used to work with some pretty important people, important people around Jackson. I remember one day he was meeting up with a, a wealthy businessman to begin the work of, of an office building on uh, Lakeland Drive in Jackson. My father was blessed to be friends with this, this guy. And I was, a, I was a young man. I was probably about 14 or 15 years old, and I was learning construction. I watched as my dad got out of the truck, and he walked over to the businessman's truck and shook hands and began to talk with him. And they talked for a few minutes, and then my father stopped and turned and walked over to the truck and said, Hey, get out. I, I want you to come meet someone. And I thought my dad was about to introduce me to one of the most, one of the richest, most important people in Jackson. I thought, this is going to be great. And he took me and introduced me to this man. And he introduced me as his oldest son. He said, this is my oldest son. And then for the next 15 minutes standing there in the hot sun, I listened as my dad bragged on me to this man. For 15 minutes. And I thought, wow. And I got back in the truck and I, I closed the door. And I felt like my dad was really proud of me right there. That he would take that time rather than talking about how important this man was to me. He talked about how important I was to him. That was amazing. But what I want you to understand is God is proud of his children. God loves you. If God would do all of this, can't you, can't you imagine how deeply the Lord loves you? How can you come to this place and say, God doesn't care about me? God's done everything for you. He laid down the life of his own son for you. And then as you know that, as you see that, as you know the love of your Heavenly Father, it, it begins to form the foundation, lay the foundation of everything that you do as a Christian. Now John's going to say this later in chapter 4. He's going to say, we love because He first loved us. Now, here's the thing. You didn't love God first. He loved you for, before the foundation of the world, before the world was ever created. God was loving you. And God was planning to save you from the wretchedness and the grip of sin that was upon you by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And ever since Jesus went to heaven, He's been planning for your arrival in that place. We have no idea what it's going to be like. Paul says, what eye has never seen, what ears never heard, nor entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared for those who love Him. But let me remind you, you didn't love Him first. 
He loved you first. And if it didn't begin with His love for you right then, then you never have a chance. And so His love forms the foundation. Number one is know the love of your Father. But number two, this is how we resemble our Heavenly Father. We grow in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. Grow in the likeness of your Father. Look at what it says in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. The word practice there, make a practice of sinning, what it literally says in the Greek is he continues to do or he does sin. The doing of sin. Now we know for certain that, that John's not saying that if you ever sin then you are not a child of God. That's not what he's saying because he, just remind you, he tells us in chapter 1 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And he goes on to say in verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we know that, that John is not saying that we never sin. He's saying that we don't make a practice of sinning. Well, what's the difference? I, I think about Abigail, my daughter. My daughter, Abigail, she has a favorite blanket. It's a uh, flower blanket. I can't. <clears throat> I took time out for just a second. I know I'm not supposed to do that, Miss Diana, but every head is looking that way instead of looking at me right now. And that's okay because we love her so much. say a quick prayer for Miss Alicia. Okay. Father God, we are so thankful for Miss Alicia and we thank you, Lord, for her sweet spirit, the way that she loves and the way that she smiles with the joy of the Lord. We thank you for her ministry in this church. Lord, we thank you for her mom and her dad. We thank you, dear Lord, for her aunt who's with us today, God. We just praise you for her. We ask, Lord, that you bless them, keep them, Lord. Watch over them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Where was I? <laughs> I was talking about Abigail's blanket and how important this blanket is to her. It's her, it's her flower blanket. And, and she will not accept the substitute for this blanket. But I'm telling you, it gets dirty and stinky. And we have to put it, Allison has to put it, I don't do it, Allison puts it in the washer and washes it and dries it. And during that period of time, it's like Abigail's lost. And if, if you give her the white blanket, she says, no, I don't like that one. If you give her the pink blanket, she says, no, ugh, yucky. She wants the flower blanket. And that's it. That's all she'll take. She won't take it. And she coddles it. And she holds it. And she drags it around with her. When she goes to sleep, she lays it on her pillow and lays her head on it. I mean, it is... It is her favorite blanket. And, and this is the difference between a person who sins occasionally and they repent and they receive the cleansing versus the person who embraces sin. 
who makes a practice of sinning. It's like that sin, that pet sin that we keep with us all the time, no matter where we go. We coddle it, we hold it, we make excuses for it. If someone points it out, we get upset about it. That's my sin. But instead, John gives us a picture of a person, a child of God, who rather than embracing sin, rejects the sin and begins to embrace the righteousness of Christ, puts the righteousness upon themselves of Christ. They're clothed in that rather than clothed in the sin of the world. And this is what he encourages you and I to do, is that we would grow in the likeness of our Father because He is righteous. He uses a couple of words here. Verse 3, he uses the word pure, and he says he's pure, and so we should be pure because we have the hope of heaven, a pure place, and a pure God who dwells there, and a pure Savior who's the center of that place, the center of that place. And we should purify ourselves in hopes of arriving there one day. What does John say in the Revelation? He says we'll be clothed in white, which represents the righteousness, the righteous deeds of the saints a pure place. Then he uses the word law and he says that if we continue in sin, that's lawlessness. We think about what lawlessness antinomianism, which is I, I can do whatever I want to do. I do what I please. I do what I want. And this is the idea that some Christians, some so-called Christians have that once you get saved, you kind of get your get out of hell free card. You know, you got baptized, and so you got your ticket to heaven, you got your ticket punched, and you're going to go there one day. And so in the meantime, it really doesn't matter how you act because you're going to heaven. That, that kind of thinking is contrary to the Word of God. And John goes on to say that if you live that way, you better, you better not think you're going to heaven. He says the, the righteous person, the righteous one, the one who practices righteousness is the child of God. The one who practices lawlessness doesn't know him. He doesn't have a relationship with him. And we're not slaves to the law anymore. But boy, hasn't he written a law on your heart that's even stronger than a law that's written on tablets of stone? Listen to what Paul says. He says, but thanks be to God that you who are once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. See, God's written a law on our hearts that we can't break. If we break it, we feel miserable. And He chastises us as a good father. And so the Lord does as He pleases, not you and me. We don't do as, we, as it pleases us. We live to please Him. And then He uses that other word that we've mentioned a couple of times, which is righteousness. And when it speaks of the righteousness of the children of God, we're not talking about our own self-righteousness. We're talking about the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed upon us, that we begin to live from the inside out. And Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? If we know Him, and we really, truly have been committed to him, then we will do what he says. Now there's, a, there's an interesting thing that's going on in verses nine, 4 through 9. I've got it kind of laid out for you here. And, and don't get too hung up on all of this. 
But I just want you to see that there's what's called a chiasm or a chiastic structure. And it took me a while to see this. I didn't see this at first. I studied this passage hard this week, and I found this began to emerge. And, but what's so important about the chiastic structure is, you know, you have parallels, and they're leading up to the middle. And John is doing this as he's writing. And it, it, it's a mnemonic device so that the listeners can remember what he's saying and what they're hearing. In verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, you see that? And then verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. You see those two kind of go together? And then you look at verse 5, know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Right? And then look at the end of verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You see that? How those go together? Well, it's all leading up to the to the meat in the middle. You got a sandwich, right? You got some bread on top, you got some bread on the bottom, you got some lettuce. And tomato and onion? No, something. I don't like that. But what's the important part? The meat in the middle, right? If about the meat in the middle, you just got two slices of bread. But the meat in the middle is the most important part. Little children, let no one deceive you. Any preacher that preaches you can live your life how you want to live it and, and get away with your sin, have your sin in Jesus too, he's a deceiver. He's lying to you. If, you, if he's telling you you can embrace and coddle sin, it's okay to live your, live your best life. Whatever you want to do, it's fine. God's fine with that. He's a gracious God. No. The scripture says God's a just God. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. What They grow in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. That's what a true child of God does. I'll say it again. I said it. Last week, but if you're no more like Christ today than you were when you first got saved, something's wrong. When a baby is born, we don't expect it to stay a baby for the rest of its life. We, we, we even have what they call an Apgar scale, I think is what they call it. Allison can tell me if I'm right about this or not. What, is that not how you say it? How do you say it? No, she said, don't talk to me. They have a scale to see, to see if the baby's doing well whenever it's born. And then later on, they have these, these milestones that they expect for the child and its development to reach. And that's the same way it is whenever you're born again and you become a child of God, that there are milestones that you should be reaching. You should be more and more like Christ every day. You should be growing to be more and more like Him every single day. You should be practicing, not sin but practicing righteousness every day of your life. Well, how do you deal with sin then? Well, John's already told us in chapter 1, confession, you bring it to God. Say the same thing. That's what that word means. Say it to God. Say, this is sinful, and, I, and it's not who I am, and it's not what you want me to be. Then repentance, and repentance is a change of heart that results in a change of mind about your sin. You say, this is not of God, and I don't want it anymore. I'm going to walk away from it. I'm turning my life away from it. And then cleansing that results, and that's God's part. Our part is confession and repentance. God's part is the cleansing. He forgives us, and he begins to wipe it away out, out of our life. Those who are truly born of God will grow to be more and more like Christ and therefore will become pleasing to God. And then thirdly, 
So we need to know the love of our Father, and then we need to grow in the likeness of our Father. And then lastly, we need to show the light of our Father. We need to let it shine through us to those around us. And we just skip on down and look at what it says in verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. I want you to underscore that word evident. There's some evidence there of a life that has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. I asked you this question last week, but if someone accused you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence in your life that you have been conceived and born of the Spirit of God? By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the evidence. The one who is walking away from sin and walking in the likeness of Christ and living that life before others and then loving people as God has in Christ has loved you and me. Are you living that way before the world? The world is hateful. God's children ought not be acting like the children of the devil. I remember going to a funeral of a relative whenever I was about 12 years old or so. And one of my great aunts, you know, one I didn't really know, we, got those, we all got those. You only see them at a, wed a wedding or a funeral or maybe the occasional um, family reunion that you might would go to. Well, she was there. I only seen her a time or two. She walked up and she grabbed my face and she said, you must be Bill's boy. Just shook my head. <laughs> I said, Bruce Moon, you know. She saw the likeness of my daddy on me. My daddy would be ashamed if I didn't represent him well to others. It's the same thing with God wants us to represent him to the people around us. See, you got to realize as a child of God, it's not about you. It's not all about me as a child of God. Yes, I am privileged to be a child of God. Yes, I have blessings in heaven that are innumerable. I have a standing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He calls me son. And that makes me royalty. If you're his daughter, that makes you a, a, a princess. That's what I tell my daughter. And, and I tell my sons, you're a prince because you're a daughter. Uh, you're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. That makes you royalty. That's what I tell them. But as much as it comes with the privileges of being a child of God, it comes with responsibility. Because there's a lost and dying world all around us. And they need to see the evidence of the marks of Christ in you.
Can people tell whose child you are just by looking at you? Can they see that there's something different? Can they see something unusual about you? I heard a preacher preaching about this and he took out a, a dollar bill. Hopefully I have a dollar bill. <laughs> Got something. Okay. So he took it out. He said, this, dollar, this, uh, this is a 10. It's worth $10. Let's say it fell out of my pocket. Landed out on the street somewhere. Flushed down in the gutter. Got dirty. Let's say somebody put, picked it up and they took it to a strip club. And it went through all that filthy place. And, and somebody else got it and rolled it up and used it for dope. It was stepped on, drugged through the mud, all of those things. Somehow it still came back to me. And I was holding it in my hand. Washed it and cleaned it off. Guess what? It's, it's still worth $10. We have a picture of that in Scripture. Jesus taught us about the prodigal son, the son of the father, the child of the father. And what he did, he went and squandered his inheritance. Just put that scripture up for me from Luke 15. But when he came to himself, after, listen, longing for the, the food that was given to the pigs, in the worst place he could possibly be, he came to himself and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Some of you probably feel that way today. You've heard the message about how we are the children of God, and you think, I'm not worthy to be called child. You've been where this man was. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Just, just let me, just let me work in, a, in your field somewhere. I'll take out the trash. I'll do whatever you want me to do if you'll let me live in your house again. And then listen to what it says. He rose and he came to his father. He came back. And God is calling some of us today. If you've been straying away. And you've been far from God in your relationship with him. He's saying, come back. But while he was still a long way off, this is the best part of the story. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That is the love of your father. There's not a day that he's given up on you. Even when you've walked away and turned your back on him. And I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And see if that's you today. You, 
You've neglected your heavenly father. You haven't spent the time with him that he deserves. It's been a long time since you've embraced him. Can I tell you that you're still worth more than you could ever imagine to your heavenly father. He paid the ultimate price for you. And he's welcoming you back right now as you're turning your heart to him. And you're saying, Lord, I I love you. I know you're my heavenly father. And I'm returning right now to you. He hears your prayer. And if you're here today and you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus in faith, you've never been born again, it's time to enter into the family of God, to be born again, to become his child. And he's ready and willing for you to do that if you'd be willing to admit your sin and your need for him and repent and turn in faith to Jesus, the one who died for you. And this is your opportunity. So if you'd you'd like to make that decision for the first time, I want you to pray this prayer and pray it with all your heart. It's not a magic prayer. It's simply you're turning to him and Embracing Him. Repenting from sin and turning to Jesus. Would you do that now? Pray with me in your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done what is wrong. I failed to do what is right. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life. That you died on the cross for my sins. And that you were raised to life. And now you are Lord of all. So Jesus, I repent for my sin. I turn to you in faith and I ask you to forgive me. Make me a new person. Put your spirit inside of me. And I'll spend the rest of my life loving you. And serving you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for my salvation. In your name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me now. This is our invitation. And this is your opportunity that if you prayed that prayer. And you meant it with all of your heart. Now it's time for you to confess that publicly. And we want to invite you to do that. Don't hold that decision in. Let that out. Let others know. We'll offer you believer's baptism and resources so that you can grow in your faith and a small group to be a part of so that you can serve alongside the people of God and learn alongside them. And so you come. And if you need prayer, our altar counselors will be here and you can come and say, hey, I'm coming back to Jesus. I'm coming back to my Savior and Lord. I've been straying and wandering away in sin and now I'm coming back to you, Lord. And you come and you pray, and we'll receive you. If you need to simply pray right there in your pew, you pray. The Lord will hear, hear that prayer. And if you're looking for a church home and you know that 
the Lord is leading you here, we welcome you. We embrace you here at Myrtle Grove. Wonderful family of faith. And we welcome you to come during this invitation. This is your chance, too, for you to join our church. And so let's sing together the wonderful cross. This will be our invitation. a few moments, you're going to have the opportunity to sit at the table with brothers and sisters in Christ, right? If we're children of God, that means we've got siblings, amen? There's no such thing as stepchildren of God. 
There's no such thing as grandchildren of God. We're all the children of God. And so as you sit across the table, here's my challenge to you. Because we should be thankful for our family. I want you, I want you to think of, and I, I encourage you this morning, if you got our, our text, if you don't get those, come and see me. We'll get you signed up to do that. But uh, I, I encourage you to think of why you are thankful to God for the people around that table. And then I, here's what I want you to do. As you circle around that table, I want you to say to each person sitting at the table, I'm thankful to God for you, and then give a reason. Because I'm thankful to God for you because, and then tell them why you're thankful for them. Okay? That's the exercise that we're going to do at the table in just a few minutes. Okay? All right. Um, Brother Chris, would you come and, I know, uh, Pastor Cody, one of you guys, dismiss us in prayer. And then we'll head over to the fellowship hall for our Thanksgiving meal. All right. Let's pray. God, thank you for the time that we've had together this morning. Father, just again, we're just uh, come to you with grateful hearts today for all that you've done for us and for sending your son to, to live and to die for us, Father, so that we could have eternal life and that we could have abundant life, God. God, now we just pray that you bless this meal together, this time of fellowship together. Uh, again, Lord, just uh, help us to have, uh, again, just... Uh, your peace and your spirit during this time of the year, Father. And again, just help us to keep our focus on you. And uh, we just, uh, again, pray for this time, Father. Thank the Lord for everyone here. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.